scripture reading tonight will be read from 1 John 4, 9 and 10. 1 John chapter 4, verses 9 and 10. And this love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. And this is love, not, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to the propitiation for our sins. Good evening and welcome again. We're grateful for your presence tonight. We've had a great day. We're very thankful that you're here tonight. If you're visiting, as always, we encourage you to come back and be with us at every opportunity that you may have. We had another family place membership with us today, the Parkers, and for that we're grateful. We're always glad to have people that express a desire to become a part of the church here. And it may be the case that you're looking for a church home. And if so, we want you to consider strongly the work here. There is, there is something for everyone to do. We have a lot of opportunities to serve the Lord in this community. We have a tremendous, I think, opportunity to be a shining light for good in this North Mississippi community. And so we want to do that. We're going to be looking tonight at 1 John chapter 4. As Billy mentioned just a moment ago, the song service centered on the love of God. And it's no surprise that the lesson tonight accentuates God's love for us as members of the human family. And I appreciate so much the opportunity to talk about the love of God. There are subjects that, as a preacher, sometimes I would rather not discuss, but to have the opportunity to talk about the love of God. It's something that everyone appreciates and all of us, we can learn greatly by examining the love of God. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 4 at verse 8, in a very succinct or concise way, God is love. There are a lot of attributes that we read about in Scripture relating to Almighty God. One of the great attributes that God has manifested is love. As we read the scriptures, we read about over and over again the love of Almighty God. And really we read about the love that God has for us as members of the human family. We are the crown of God's creation. The Bible tells us that God made us in his own image and in his own likeness. Housed within your body, housed within my body, is an eternal spirit. And God, the Father, is the one who has fathered that spirit, according to Hebrews chapter 12. And so tonight we think about the love of God. I want to begin by calling attention to a declaration of the love of God. Over and over again throughout Scripture, we read about the love of God. In 1 John chapter 4, and John, by the way, is identified as the apostle of love. John has a lot to say about God's love for us and the love that we are to have for one another. But note, if you would, in 1 John chapter 4, at verse 9, John said, in this, the love of God was manifested toward us that God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation 
for our sins. First, let me call attention to the genuineness of God's love. When, when we pick up the scriptures, one of, one of the things that ought to be apparent to us is the authenticity of the love of God. His love for us is genuine. It's real. And over and over again, he has tried to express that love to those of us who belong to the human family. In a minute, we're going to talk about how God has demonstrated his love for us. But just think with me, if you would, for a moment or two about the love of Almighty God and the genuineness of that love. I want to begin by saying that God's love for us is unending. Jeremiah, in the long ago, in chapter 31, verse 3, said, I have loved you with an everlasting love, talking really about the children of Israel. But God loves us. There, is never, there will never be a time when God does not love you. Think about that. God said, I've loved you with an everlasting love. And so to know that God will always love me. There's a second thing I want to call attention to. And that is that God's love is unselfish. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5, Paul talks about the characteristics of love and how we are to take those characteristics and make application to our own lives. The characteristics of love enable us to get along with one another and to thrive as a body. But the unselfish nature of love is such that it gives. Paul said, it seeks not its own. There are several terms that are used in the original language to describe, or really there are several terms that are used in the original language that relate to love. Agape love is the highest form of love, and that is that sacrificial, self-giving love. That's the kind of love that God has demonstrated toward us. That's why, for me, when I think about the love of God, it is unselfish. God did not hold anything back. He literally gave his very best so that we might enjoy life eternal. And then I want to submit unto you that God's love is unprecedented. Now John said in 1 John chapter 4, verse 19, we love him because he first loved us. God set the standard for love, didn't he? We talk about setting the bar. When you and I begin to read about the love of God, it's unprecedented. There has never been a being that has loved you as a member of the human family like Almighty God. There will never be anyone that has the ability or the capacity to, to love you as God has. And then there is one final thing that I would submit, and that is God's love is unconditional. God loves you when you are unlovable. This morning after our worship services, Brother Udell came to me and was talking about his children. And he said, if my children are hurting physically, I'm going to them. He said, if they're hurting spiritually, I'm going to them. And I think that's exactly right. During the course of the lesson this morning, I talked about how we have children for a very brief period of time. When they get to be 18, 19 years old and go away to college, they are, in many respects, on their own. In other words, they don't come back home. 
typically speaking. Well, that doesn't mean that we cease loving them or cease caring for them. It doesn't matter what our child or children may do or say, where they may go, what kind of trouble they get into, we will always love them. Now, we may not love what they do, but we will love them. Why? Because there is unconditional love. If you are a parent, you can understand unconditional love. I don't think that, I don't think you can really, truly grasp unconditional love until you have a child. Think about some of the things that you do for your child. Why do you do those things? Well, somebody says, because I have to. Well, I understand that there is a measure of responsibility entrusted to us as parents, and there are certain things that we have to do. I mean, we could neglect doing those things, and our children would suffer, and we too might suffer as a result of that. But most of the things that we do for our children, we do them because we love them. We love them unconditional, unconditionally. And over and over again, the Bible talks about the love of God, and I believe his love is unconditional. Now, he may not necessarily like what we do. He, might, he may not condone our lifestyle, but that doesn't mean that he doesn't love us. God has always loved us. He will always love us. And that was true even when we were steeped in a life of sin. Now we talk about the genuineness of God's love, but then think with me if you would very quickly about the greatness of his love. Did you know that the love of God is unsurpassed? It's unsurpassed. There is no way that, that you and I can, can fully comprehend or understand the love of God. And then, at best, when we come to a comprehension of the love of God, there is no equal. God's love for the human family is unequaled. It's unsurpassed. There will never be, as I said a moment ago, anyone that loves you more than God. Now, we talk about the love of God and the love of Christ. God loved us. Yes, he did. He sent his son to die for our sins. That's what John said in 1 John chapter 4, verse 9. Jesus came to fulfill the redemptive plan of Almighty God. Jesus was willing to come to earth so that we might enjoy redemption. So we have the love of God and the love of Christ. Jesus said, greater love has no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. Somebody says, how much does the Lord God love me? More than you'll ever know. How much does the Lord Jesus Christ love me? Again, more than you'll ever know. Let me give you a passage of scripture that to me is very special. In John chapter 15, verse 9, many times we read passages of Scripture over and over again. And sometimes we read those passages of Scripture, and for whatever reason, we fail to digest them, or we fail to really pick up on the meaning. In John chapter 15, verse 9, Jesus said, As my Father loved me, I also have loved you. Now let that sink in for a minute. Jesus is saying, as God the Father has loved me. Now I want to ask you this question. How much does God the Father love Jesus Christ the Son? Do you think that there's any way that we could adequately fathom or comprehend the love that God has for his only begotten Son? 
The Bible talks about the love of God and verbally expresses that to us. But can we fully comprehend the love of deity, the love of God the Father for Jesus the Son, for the Word who became flesh? Now Jesus said, just as the Father loved me, he said, I have loved you. What does that say to us? It says we have no greater friend in this world than Jesus. We sing the song, I have a friend in Jesus. Let me tell you what, you will never have a greater friend than the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord loves you. He'll always love you. That love is unconditional. It's unselfish. It's unending. I mean, there are so many things that you could say about that. The greatness of God's love. Listen to Paul in Ephesians chapter 2 at verse 4. He said, But God, who is rich in mercy, for the great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sin, has made us alive together with Christ. By grace are you saved. So here we were, steeped in sin, separated from God, alienated from all the blessings and favors of God. And what did Jesus do? He fulfilled the will of God and came to earth. Why did he do that? Because God the Father devised a plan. He is the architect of the redemptive plan. Jesus was simply the agent by which that plan was consummated. Now, there's a second thing I want you to see with me in our study tonight. And that is a demonstration of the love of God. How do we show our love? How do we show our love for our children? How do we show our love for our mate? Let me ask this question. How do we show our love for God? By doing what he says, don't we? All right. How did God demonstrate his love or manifest his love for us? Listen to what he says again in verse 9. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world that we might live through him. And this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. There are a couple of things that maybe we would do well to consider along these lines. First of all, I want to suggest that as we contemplate the manifestation of God's love, it involved a sacrifice for sin. Furthermore, it involved a substitute for sin. Now in verse 10, John said that God sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. And that word propitiation means a turning away of wrath. God is the one who was propitiated. His righteous character, his holiness was vindicated by Jesus going to the cross and ultimately sacrificing himself for our sins. When Jesus went to the cross, redemption became a reality. Jesus literally gave up everything to come to earth. The Bible talks about the love of Christ, his great sacrifice. Can you imagine deity leaving the throne of God or leaving heaven, if you please, coming to earth, 
suffering at the hands of your own creation? That's what Jesus did. John said that the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. Glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Paul would say in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, You have heard of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might be made rich. Jesus made a tremendous sacrifice for us. But then also he was the substitute for our sins. Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 2 that Jesus bore our sins in his body on the tree. And what that does is suggest to us the vicarious suffering and death of Jesus. Who should have gone to the cross? Jesus? No. What had Jesus done to deserve the inhumane treatment of the cross? Nothing. Pontius Pilate before whom the Lord Jesus Christ stood, recognized the innocence of Jesus. The Bible says, Him who knew no sin, He became sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. And so Jesus made a tremendous sacrifice for sin. He became our substitute for sin. In order for us to appreciate the love of God, though, we have to understand that God supported Jesus in this redemptive process. God was the architect of the scheme of redemption. The Bible talks about in Revelation chapter 13 at verse 8, the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. God had a plan in place before he ever laid the foundation of the world so that when man sinned, he could put that plan into motion. And so in Genesis chapter 3, following the fall of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, what did God do? In verse 15, he set forth the promised seed. In chapter 12, he called on a man, a man by the name of Abraham, who later was called the friend of God. Abraham would become the father of the Hebrew nation. It would be through him, that is through his lineage, that all the nations of the earth would be blessed. And so, the manifestation, the demonstration of God's love. Listen, if you would, to what Paul said in Romans chapter 5, verse 8. But God demonstrated, manifested his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's genuine love. We talk about the genuineness of God's love, the greatness of his love, the manifestation of his love. Over and over again, God has tried to drive home the point that he loves us. Now, what about the magnitude of God's love? What are the implications to me? What, what does God's love mean to me? How can I benefit? How am I benefited from the love of God? Let me just cite for you some of the things, some of the ways that we are benefited by the love of God. Number one, because of God's immense love, we can have forgiveness in the Lord. Do you remember what Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 6? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Jesus came so that we might enjoy forgiveness. Now sometimes we talk about forgiveness in theory. This is not just theory, this is reality. 
How can you enjoy forgiveness in the Lord? Well, the Bible tells us in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 10, salvation is in Christ. For whom did Christ die? Paul said in Romans chapter 5, verse 6, Christ died for the ungodly. He died for all of the human family. In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9, the Hebrew writer said that Jesus tasted death for every man. So, based on the love of God and the willingness of Christ to come to earth, we have the opportunity to be forgiven. Somebody says, I'm unworthy. Absolutely, we're all unworthy of the love of God, of His mercy, of His forgiveness. But thankfully, we can be forgiven. Isn't it something that God has reached out to us as members of the human family? God created us. He created us. He's involved in the affairs of the human family. He's concerned about us. He wants us to enjoy a relationship with him. He makes it possible for us to be forgiven. Now sometimes we, we think about how we've lived. Are there things that we have done that potentially we're not proud of? Absolutely. Are there things I've done in my life I'm not proud of? Yes. Are there things that we say sometimes that we wish we could take back? Are there places that we go that we know we have no business going, but we do it anyway? The answer to all those questions is yes, yes, yes. But here's the bottom line. It doesn't matter where, where you go. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter what you say. It doesn't, it doesn't matter how deep in sin your life may be. You can be forgiven. Look at Saul of Tarsus. Saul talked about how he made havoc of the church, and yet he was converted. You remember what Ananias said to Saul? When Paul recounted his conversion story, he said that Ananias said, And now why do you tarry? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins. To know that we can go to bed at night and we are forgiven. The Bible says in him we have forgiveness through his blood or redemption through his blood the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace to know that I can be forgiven of every sin that's a wonderful thought it's all made possible by the love of God by the immensity of his love and then I want to I want to suggest that based on that immense love we can have a foundation in the Lord do you remember in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus contrasted the wise and foolish builders? He said the foolish builder built his house on the sand. He said the rains descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was the fall thereof. He likened that builder to someone who hears the word of God and does not do it. By way of contrast, though, he talked about the wise builder. He said, the wise builder built his house on the rock. The rains descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. And here Jesus likens this man to somebody who hears the word of God and does it. Now, why do I cite those scriptures? Because when you have Jesus in your life, when you come to understand and appreciate the love of God and what the Lord has done for you, and you enjoy forgiveness, you begin life anew. Let me tell you what, 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 other, what other religion offers people the opportunity to start all over? 
Christianity does. The Lord does. Paul said, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Paul is saying, in Christ, you can start over. It doesn't matter where you have been. It doesn't matter what you've done. You can start over. And you know what you can do? When you are a forgiven child of God, you can begin building on that foundation. You're in Christ. Now you can build on, on Christ. You can, build, you can build on that rock. Listen to the psalmist. He said, except the Lord build the house, those who labor, labor in vain. There are a lot of folks in our world today, they are literally spinning their wheels. In many cases, people are backing up in life rather than going forward. There are a lot of folks, their lives are in disarray. They're upside down. They have all kinds of problems, and one of the reasons is because they don't have a good foundation. And in Christ, because of the love of God, you and I have a foundation. That foundation is the Lord, and we can build on it. Are we going to have pitfalls and trials and tribulations and difficulties in life? Yes, why? Because we're members of the human family. We live in a world of sin. But we have God at our side, and we have the opportunity to build the right kind of life. I mentioned the Apostle Paul a minute ago. If anyone could have appreciated a new start, a clean break, it would have been Paul. What about the Corinthians? Paul said that those people were living in fornication, adultery, idolatry. He went on to say some were homosexual, some were thieves, and some were drunkards, and some were revilers. But they had been forgiven. That's why in his second letter he could say, look, if any man's in Christ, he is a new creation. That suggests to me that we can build anew. We can build on a good foundation. And then thirdly, when you obey the gospel of Christ, you become a part of the greatest family on earth, the family of God. John said in 1 John chapter 3, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called the sons of God or the children of God. God is our Father. We are, part, we are a part of a divine family. Last night we had a memorial service for Ray Elmore. And I made mention of the fact that, to my knowledge, well, I, I guess I never had the opportunity to meet any of Ray's biological family members. The last time I saw Ray, I asked him where he was born, asked him a little bit about his family. He said that he had a sister that had died. At the memorial service last night, none of his biological family members were here, as far as I know. But there were a lot of people here who were a member of his church family. And so when Ray obeyed the gospel, he gained a spiritual family. Paul talks about how we are members of the household of God in Ephesians 2.20. When you become a child of God, you become a part of the greatest family on earth. It's God's family. And linked to that, the fellowship that we have. We have the opportunity to, to enjoy a close-knit relationship. I mentioned Ray just a minute ago. Ray had a rough background. 
For all intents and purposes, he had a tough, tough life. Ray turned his life around, became a Christian, began trying to live for the Lord, became a part of the family of God, and enjoyed fellowship with people of like faith. And there were expressions of love and concern conveyed to him over and over again during the brief time that he was, that he was with us. That's what Christianity is all about. In Acts 2.42 it says that the early church continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and prayers. Then I want to suggest that because of God's immense love, we have a fortress in the Lord. There's a great passage of Scripture. If you don't have it underlined, I would encourage you to go to Psalm 18 and underline Psalm 18, the first couple of verses. The psalmist there, David, talks about his love for the Lord, his strength, his God. He said, God is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer. When you think about a fortress, what comes to mind? When you think about a rock, sometimes we use the expression talking about a friend or a family member that stood by us in thick and thin, tough times and difficult times. We say, he or she has been my rock. That's what God is to us. Because of God's love for us and because God is involved in the affairs of his people, He's not left us out here to just flounder on our own, but he is intricately involved in the the day-to-day affairs of mankind. More importantly, our affairs. And And God is a rock. He's a fortress. You can trust in him. You can look to him for protection. His presence will always be with us. And then finally, I want to suggest that because of the immense love of Almighty God, we have a future with the Lord. Look over in chapter 5 for just a minute. Listen to what John said in chapter 5, verse 11. This is a testimony. This is the record that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. He that has the Son has life. He that does not have the Son of God does not have life. Now listen to him in verse 13. These things I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. John is saying to Christians of every age, if you're in Christ, you have life. If you are in Christ and you're doing your best to live a faithful life, you have life eternal. Can you know that? Yes, you can. When we come to the end of the road here on planet Earth, we can know. We don't have to question it. We don't have to worry about it. We can know. We can have assurance We're going home to be with God. Do we need God in life? Yes, we do. Not only do we need him in life, we need him in death. Let me just cite for you one other illustration about my association with Ray because I think it's pertinent to this point. The last time I saw Ray he talked to me about his death. He said, when the time comes, they will contact you. It had not been that 
long ago that prior to that date, he stood outside where he was living and he said, I want you to do my funeral. He didn't say it in those terms, but that's what he meant. And I was honored to have the opportunity to speak at his memorial service. But when I saw Ray the last time, I told him, I said, Ray, you don't have to die alone. When, when you come to the end of the road here on earth, the psalmist said, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Do I need the Lord Jesus Christ? Do I need God the Father in my life right now? Yes, I do. Are there blessings associated with being a child of God? You better believe there are. But I need God not just in life, I need him in death. When I come to the end of my sojourn here on planet Earth, I want to have the confidence of Paul who said, for we know that if the earthly house of our tabernacle be dissolved, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. How do I develop that kind of knowledge and that kind of assurance? Listen to what he said. We walk by faith and not by sight. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. The more I read and study this book, the deeper my faith, the greater my trust, and when I come to the end of the road here, guess what? I'm going home to be with the Lord. And one day, prayerfully, all of us will be together in heaven. The love of God. There's really no way that words can adequately assess and explain the love of God. I know there's no way that I could adequately do justice to the love of God. But I can read about the love of God. I believe it, and I'm thankful for it. If you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, I want to encourage you, come to Christ. Why not, why not begin a life in the Lord tonight? Here's what you need to do. Do what they did on Pentecost Day. Repent, be baptized. Peter said, for the remission of your sins. When you do that, God's going to put you in his family, and you're going to enjoy all the blessings and favors that are in Christ and one of those great blessings we live in hope of life eternal which God who cannot lie promised before the world began if you're here tonight maybe your life's not what it ought to be maybe you've got shortcomings failures look we all do and because we're family we can pray for one another we can encourage one another we'd be happy to do that for you this very hour James said confess your faults one to another pray one for another could we pray with you tonight as we stand and sing